0: Welcome to Bearded, Wholesome, and All Things Baltimore podcast. I'm the host, Matt Trigger, and with me today is a very special guest. He's the current Baltimore Orioles play-by-play announcer and also an announcer for a myriad of sports on ESPN. Kevin Brown, how you doing, sir? I'm good, Matt. How are you? Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining the show today. So, how's everything been going? Everything's been going well as
1: we tape today. Um, I'm I one day removed from a softball game. Um, I have softball. Not tomorrow. Actually, two days off, which is surprising. I have softball Saturday, Sunday, and then I'm uh, I'm in uh, Camden for a week doing Orioles TV and radio. After that, so it's it's been fun to go from having nothing to do for a while last year to suddenly having everything to do again.
0: I I completely understand. To kind of give my listeners a background, you are a full time announcer and uh, media personality for ESPN. You cover high school baseball, high school football, and you, you announce college sports as well, as and a little bit of pro sports, am I right?
1: Yeah, so uh, basically everything. Um, <laughs> so I did high school football for a couple of years, I've done college football the last few years, a lot of college basketball, um, mainly the American Conference the last few years. Um, this is my second year doing softball, which has been great. I'm going to do the uh, Women's College World Series this year. And I've done the NCAA hockey tournament for I think the last five seasons, and I am sure there is more that I'm forgetting. But um, oh, I, I did do um, some uh, Major League Baseball postseason on ESPN Radio last year as well. There's probably more, but it's it's been a thrill to get to do basically everything under the sun at some point with them.
0: And that's an impressive resume because you are. Um... 31. 15 years old okay. <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> or just look like it. <laughs> I mean you're on the younger side compared to your your colleagues for the most part sure. um probably by a good 15 years 20 years in some cases so you've been with ESPN for a, a good number of years and you, they've had you on multiple different assignments what are some of the more memorable games that you have covered it doesn't matter what sport just what what are some things that really stand out for you Hmm. Um the first thing that jumps to mind is my second year doing high school football.
1: I was headed out to Vegas on a Thursday for a game on a Friday. I was about to leave my apartment and I got a call saying, "Can you actually go to Pullman, Washington for Boise State, Washington State, which was the late Saturday game on ESPN?" I, I don't think to that point I had actually been on the main ESPN channel. This was only my second year of of doing high school football and I had to On about forty-eight hours' notice, do this game that ended up being a like epic triple overtime game. One of the great games of the year. Washington State was down twenty-one in the fourth and came back and won it. And it was a thrill because, you know, selfishly, there were just a lot more people watching. High school football was great, but that's Friday nights on ESPN or ESPN two, and all of a sudden you had this Saturday night stage to yourself. And it was also a thrill because I, it was one of those moments where I felt like I could do this. you know, at a pretty high level and even without much time to prep, you know, the the work I had done calling high school and college games and local TV up in Syracuse, New York, had prepared me for it more than I thought. Um, So that one always sticks out because of the situation and because the game itself ended up being wonderful. Other than that, I mean, gosh, um, this last year has been a haze because it's been – memorable in a different way to call games from your apartment and from studios and and not necessarily be on site at assignments but um i'd say the one other one that sticks out was my first linear tv game was with espn it was called hockey at penn state which had a brand new hockey arena and um, I actually broke into ESPN doing hockey, which is a sport I had done very little of. I'd done some college hockey locally at, at uh, Time Warner Cable Sports Channel up in Syracuse covering Colgate games and some high school games. But when I met the person who became you know, one of my bosses at ESPN, we went through a list of things I had done. And one of the things I'd done was hockey. He's like, oh, great. We don't have a lot of hockey people. And so even though I thought of myself as a football, baseball, basketball guy, I started out calling hockey and did the NCAA hockey tournament. And that was another one of those moments where I was just overwhelmed, but also happy to feel in control and to feel like I had made it to some degree. So just kind of a random Wisconsin-Penn State hockey game, but it will always hold this special place in my heart.
0: That's incredible. I wanted to kind of touch on something that you just mentioned. You said that it was, it's was it been different calling games from your apartment. Does, yeah. it, does it become more challenging not being present in the arena or the stadium and having to still give that energy as if you were there
1: a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, the technology is amazing. It's amazing that we can do this at all, but it's definitely a, a huge, huge difference. And with the Orioles, we're calling every game out of Camden Yards again this year. So if the Orioles are home, great. We're calling the game in front of us. Um, if the Orioles are in Boston or in New York or, or wherever the Blue Jays are playing right now, then we're calling the game off a monitor. It's just, it's amazing that we can do it, but it's certainly not the same. Um, the strangest thing for me, honestly, uh, about calling games out of my apartment is, is not even necessarily calling the game itself. It's the before and after. And when I put on the headset, you know, I, I'm inundated if I want to be by the natural sounds on site by my producer, by my analyst. And you get caught up in the flow of the game. But beforehand, you just walk into a quiet office and then the game ends. And, you know, for such and such, I'm Kevin Brown. Here's what's next. Okay, great job, guys. Take off the headset. and You just walk into the the kitchen in your house and make a sandwich. It's it's a very steep come down from being on the air. There's no slow walk out through the stadium. The music is still on. You're passing the ushers and the food vendors and things. Nope. It's just, it's over. And you're back in, in another world. It's almost like you, you know, walk through the back of the closet, you're in Narnia. And then the next thing you know, you just walk back and you're in the bedroom. So the, the, the pregame and postgame is very strange. And then obviously in game, you, you can only see what's there. You can only see what's on the monitor or the angles you're provided. Um, I think people have, have been great with us this past year, understanding that we, We're just not going to be quite as in tune to everything that's happening and you know i think viewers and listeners thankfully have gotten that um it is odd it's not going away forever i think a lot of the things we do will go back to on site but at the same time um i'm not naive enough to think we'll never do this again so it's been it's been an eye-opening experience
0: has it been has it been a little bit of an adjustment when you're doing the games in person because I just know from years of watching Orioles telecasts where they cram two, sometimes three play-by-play color commentators in one small area. And I'm sure that now it's, you know, having to do the social distancing, standing, I guess, six feet apart, or possibly being in separate rooms while still having to do the game live. Does that present any challenges?
1: Yeah, it's different for TV and radio. So radio, we're in separate booths. Um, so I'll be in the booth next to Jeff Arnold or Melanie Newman or Brett Hollander, and we can see each other through the window, but we're in physically separate booths TV. We are in the same booth, but there's a, you know, big plexiglass shield between us and we're facing the field and, and, you know, the open air. So last year we were in the regular Mastin booth this year we're in, um, you know, where the pregame postgame booth is as well. Um, which is a little bit bigger for us, a little bit of a different angle, but but not necessarily a worse one. Just a little bit different, more space. Um, but I'll be next to Ben McDonald or Jim Palmer, and we'll just have the the sheet. If you watch the opens of the broadcasts, you can see the you know the the clear plexiglass in between us. Um, so we're you know wearing our masks before the game and after the game, but when we're on the air and we're facing out, we've got the shield in between us. So it's a a, a little bit different on radio because you can't nudge the person next to you. You can't always give them a, you know, a nonverbal communication, a knowing glance, because there is a little bit more room, at least in TV, you're next to each other just with the shield in between. But yeah, when you're calling a game, part of what's important is nonverbal communication, right. And, um, and knowing where your partner's going to go and anticipating where that person's going to go. That's probably the hardest part of doing it from home, honestly, is that there's a slight delay between me and, Baltimore and my analyst in Texas and sometimes we're both starting a thought at the same time and we don't realize it because we only have zoom windows of each other's faces open so in terms of camaraderie and chemistry that's the thing that is a little bit hard to simulate
0: I I can imagine and to much to your credit you have handled this like an absolute pro and I know that you've been with the Orioles for a couple seasons now I think this is your second season in, or third season in Baltimore third year yeah and kind of just doing a little bit of my homework. You've you've had the passion for announcing games since you were eight years old, and uh, I believe there was a quip a year where, ago. Yeah, <laughs> I believe there was a quip. I where remember you, it well, where you were um, doing co- commentary for basketball games that your dad was coaching.
1: Yeah. So the first moment I remember, and the one I always reference is when I was about eight years old, I was playing PAL basketball locally um, in Baldwin, New York. And my dad was one of the coaches of my team. And I think all of the coaches helped out for the all-star game, which I was not in. Uh, To this point in my illustrious career, I had not (laughs) scored a basket. And I probably would not for another year or two. But my dad was coaching in the game. And so I was just there. I think I wore my, my um, team t-shirt in case, you know, some of the kids couldn't make it and they needed a sub, try to backdoor my way in like a last minute injury replacement, but that didn't work out. Everybody showed up. So I went and sat on the stage and I watched the game and I don't know what compelled me to do it, but I just started calling the game to myself. And I remember this couple who I was sitting next to at the end of the game saying, hey, good job, Marv, as in Marv Albert. Probably they went home and they said, can you believe that old brat that wouldn't shut up the whole time? We're just trying to watch, you know, Greg uh, playing his first all-star game here. And this stupid kid won't stop talking. But but here we go. If they're listening to this, I'd like to apologize to them deeply and and let them know that, that things did at least work out for me. So it wasn't like I, I left the profession and, uh, you know, you can be, say you were there at the origin story, random couple sitting on the stage at Hastings middle school in Baldwin, but yeah, that was it. I kind of got the bug from that day. Why it was that day to be honest. Uh, I, I could not tell you, Matt, but that's the day I remember it's the first day I actually called and I put that in air quotes, some version of a sporting event.
0: That's, that's awesome, man, that you found the passion at such an early age and, uh, I know that you were at a couple of smaller uh, radio uh, companies and you managed to yep. make your way to the Syracuse Chiefs. Um, was that minor league baseball?
1: Yeah, AAA baseball. They're now the Syracuse Mets, now the New York Mets AAA affiliate. They were the Washington Nationals AAA affiliate for seven years when I was there. Um, a lot of people know Jason Benetti, who is the voice of the Chicago White Sox, and an amazing TV announcer for ESPN, football, basketball, baseball, does everything. Jason was the lead announcer at the Chiefs in 2011. Uh, I was a graduating senior at Syracuse University, and I didn't graduate early because I wanted to go through a, you know a full year of of uh, school. I didn't want to shortchange my college experience, um, which was which was okay. But then that meant I I couldn't apply for a minor league job that some you know folks who graduated early did, or it would have to have been a short season deal. So I got very lucky because the number two position in Syracuse was open. I was there. So I was able to, once I got the job, finish out my last couple of months of, of college and also work uh, minor league baseball, which I don't recommend trying to do both at the same time. Um, because when you're in your last two months of college, you want to enjoy your last two months of college. Um, that is hard when you're at the ballpark for 12 hours a day. For the last two months but it was worth it it worked out in the end and um i'm just thankful jason took a chance on me we did four years at, at the team he left i took over his lead role and i was there for three more years
0: when you were spending your time there for the seven years uh, is there any famous baseball players now that you were calling games for back then
1: oh sure yeah um my second year we had bryce harper for a month wow it was only a month of AAA baseball before he assented quickly to the majors. Steven Strasburg pitched on rehab a couple of times. Ryan Zimmerman came down on rehab. We had Trey Turner for a year on his way up through, um, through the national system. You know, I, I work for the Orioles, so I know that it's not necessarily – um, in my self-interest to praise the the Nationals. But, you know, there's a certain tie that, that I have to that organization and I'll always be thankful for them because I, I did get to call some games there in 2017 and I saw a lot of those guys come up through the system. Um, players who were part of the Nationals World Series team or or some players that were part of growing the team to that position, like Tanner Roark, but we we had pretty much everybody who came through the national system for seven years. And it was really fun to, to watch them grow.
0: That's all. That's awesome to see though, man, because, you know, I know that, you know, it's not necessarily a conflict of interest, but uh, the nationals are a very good ball club and they've recently won a world series. And a lot of those players that you, you named with the exception of Bryce were a part of that team. Yeah, and I know it's just got to be surreal because Bryce Harper seemed like he spent like two weeks in the minors before. <laughs> it before. wasn't much longer than that, honestly. Like, I mean, it feels yeah. like he got drafted, and then like a year and a half later, he's on the, the Major League Ball Club. Yep. So after your time with the Chiefs and – or the now Syracuse Mets, uh, was it weird to go from calling minor league ball to calling major league ball?
1: Less weird than you would think, honestly. Um, I, 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 I tell you what, Matt, I thought it would be weirder. And I, I think most people would imagine it would be a pretty seismic shift. So my first big league games were in 2017. That was my last year of Syracuse. If I can tell a quick sidebar story here, and I'll try to make it quick.
0: By I, all means.
1: we. I am a TV radio announcer, so I tend to get long. Um, I was in DC coincidentally enough in the winter of uh, 2017. I think I was there in January for a Howard university basketball game for ESPNU. And I got a call from Dave Jagler, who's still one of the nationals radio broadcasters out of the blue. And Dave said, listen, Charlie slows is going to miss a couple of games in may because, uh, his son is graduating. I believe it's high school. And I've, said to my bosses we should bring up kevin to do the games and i want to know if you're interested so what do you say to that no i'm not interested thank you very much i don't want to call major league baseball please be on your way um of course i was floored and i said absolutely and i'm just stunned that dave thought of me to do it so that was in may of that year and i had been calling a month and a half of minor league baseball, drove to Pittsburgh. It was a a couple of games for the nationals in Pittsburgh against the pirates. And those were my first two big league games. And they went, well, they went pretty smoothly. You know, I didn't forget the rules of the game. I didn't swear on air. I didn't call the nationals, the chiefs. I didn't accidentally say, you know, 3 1 nationals on the score 1260, which was the Syracuse station at the time. Um, there was a moment when I walked into the booth. So, PNC Park in Pittsburgh, absolutely gorgeous, incredible skyline, the city of Pittsburgh, the three bridges, the Roberto Clemente Bridge. And the booth is very, very high. I think Pittsburgh and Washington probably have the highest press boxes in the league. So, when you walk into the booth there, it's a little overwhelming. You're way up in the sky, you can see all of downtown, it feels like, and the players look like ants below you. Whereas in AAA, smaller, minor league ballparks, you're often very close to the field. Um, So it just feels more intimate and less overwhelming. So there was kind of a breathtaking moment when I was there. And then we got on the air. It was just baseball. I mean, that was the wonderful thing is that it was just the same game, just at a higher level. So it, it was, it was a good kind of anxiety inducing right like i i wasn't nervous as strange as that says i was just anxious to get going and to i guess to 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 prove that i could do this but once we settled in and got through a couple of pregame segments it just felt like calling a baseball game again which was the most wonderful realization of the mundane that i've ever had
0: That's that's really cool, though, Um, just to for you to get your experience, you know, on the big league stage, you know, a a month and a half into your minor league uh, game calling. Now, I know a lot of people that watch the either major league or NFL telecast. There's a lot more that has to go into game prep than just showing up to the ballpark, getting in the booth, going over a couple of segments. I know you have to study the players kind of you know memorize things that are important to the telecast possibly talk to some of the players in between you know the games and just kind of get a feel for who you're calling and you have more to add to the telecast than just balls and strikes and outs and whether it was a home run or a fly ball. Is there what type of preparation do you go through on a day-to-day basis? Not just calling the O's but calling games in general is it long Tenuous or uh, tedious hours, or is it more of a day-to-day prep?
1: Um, it's a little both. It, it depends on the sport and it depends on the week. You know, sometimes there's a week where I do a, a MAC football game on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, and then another college football game on a Saturday. Things get pretty crazy. Um, sometimes there's a week where I do three college basketball games. Sometimes there's a week where I just have one game. I'll, I'll go through a couple of examples. Um, so for the Orioles, I have I use a program called Evernote. and I have different notebooks. Um, so I'll have an Orioles notebook. I'll have a notebook for every other team, and I will create a page for every player. So as I pull up my Orioles notes now, I have a page for DJ. Stewart, which has some quotes from this year, his numbers from last season, couple of things I find interesting in those numbers, his splits against righties, lefties, he was only four for 47 against fastballs last year. He was really good at barreling the ball up. He had a very high barrel rate. Um, later on, I have some numbers from 2019, some minor league numbers, first round pick, something about his high school, his dad. So some personal things, some career things, some, some notes from this year. Um, I try to build a page on, on, on every player on every team we see. So, uh, uh, you know, I'm in the midst of pulling together my Yankees notes for next week, Monday through Thursday as we record this. And I will keep all that on my computer. I'll keep my laptop open during the game. I'll have my iPad open during the game. And that will have the MLB game day app up so I can track pitches, um, go through a box score if I need it. I have a scorebook in front of me where I'll write in the lineups defense Records, standings who's on the bench who's in the bullpen and i will write some notes on there as well um i try to to you know write trends and day-to-day things somebody has a 12 game hit streak i try to have that written in front of me and have more of the big picture stuff on my computer so a a lot of the writing in is done when i get to the ballpark usually i would get to the park for a seven o'clock game at around three um and we'd be in the clubhouse from three to four Talking to players, coaches, doing a pregame interview if we need to. Now there are there's no clubhouse access, so I'll stick around in my apartment until closer to five, and then go to the park from there. Um, we have the manager and a player on Zoom during the day, so I'll listen into those calls, take notes from that. On the radio, we talk to Brandon Hyde for a few minutes before every game, so I will do that as well. That's baseball, <laughs> um, and then everything else is different. Football, I. Some people will outsource what are called your charts or your boards. If you um, call a football game, you have you know, usually some giant pages in front of you with players on the roster, depth chart, notes, stats, heights, weights, hometowns, all that stuff. There are services that make these for people and will send you a chart with a bunch of information typed in. I prefer to make my own. that may change at some point in my life, but I like to have all the information in my head and type that down onto my computer. So I'm aware of it. So football week, if I have a game Saturday, I'm starting Sunday night or Monday, and I'm just building the skeletons of those boards. And then maybe Tuesday, I'm going through the game notes and I'm watching back the previous game from those teams. And then Wednesday or Thursday, we're talking to coaches and players over Zoom. And all the while I'm filling in whether it's clips from local news articles or calls from the sports information directors, just kind of sprinkling in information where and when I can. Um, and I'll have all, you know, my charts in front of me, I will have a couple of pages of notes, one, which is a big picture page, what they do last year, what do they have coming up in their schedule? You know, what, what's at stake and then another page which is just quotes from coaches and players during the week so it can all be a little overwhelming this is a long answer to a short question i know but um but there is a lot that goes into it and it it definitely differs on the sport you know there are certain things in a football game that i want to have readily available that i need quickly in between plays baseball you have more time between pitches between batters between innings and I don't need to have as much stuff written down in the immediacy. But it's some, honestly, I mean, I'm, again, I made a joke that I'm young earlier, but um, it, it's something I'm still figuring out what information works for me, how to process it best during a game, where to put it, where, where literally to, to move your eyes to, to, you know, to look at something when you're not looking at the field or the court. So it's it, probably it'll be a different answer if you ask me this question in five years but it is a work in, in progress right now that I hopefully have somewhat summarized.
0: Absolutely. That, that was a, a, a wealth of knowledge for the, the simple question. And I, uh, I feel
1: th- like I information dumped on you there, Matt. I am sorry. <laughs> it's not a problem. That's,
0: that's good content. I appreciate the, I appreciate the insight because a lot of my viewers and listeners probably never knew this type of information. And I, I know you're, de- you know, dealing with football at the college level or the pro level, and then baseball at the major and minor league level. Those type of preparations you just described, is it a different type of preparation when you have to call high school football?
1: Yeah, high school football is hard. It's it's hard because when you call an Orioles game, you can find everything you need. I can find anybody's statistics. I can go to team media guides. I can go to Baseball Reference. I can go to Baseball Savant. I can tell you right now. How frequently John Means throws his changeup and curveball and four-seamer and slider. I can tell you how frequently he throws those to lefties and to righties. The spin rate compared to last year. I can tell you his velocity gain versus last season. It is enough to make your head explode. High school football, you don't have that. You might have some local newspapers that cover the team. But high school football, we would talk to coaches early in the week, Monday or Tuesday, and basically just say, can you go through your depth chart with us and and give us information? Because these kids are 15, 16 years old. We don't know. You know, for ESPN, most high school football games have at least one player that is a significant recruit. ESPN has their own recruiting ranking system. Rivals does this and a couple other sites. Um, but ESPN has a top 300. And usually for high school football, you're going to see the number one kid in the country play or the number six kid in the country play. Right. And so my last year of covering high school football week one, we went to Cartersville, Georgia, and saw the number two player of the country is a kid named Trevor Lawrence. That seems to be going well for him. Um, So we spent (laughs) a lot of that game talking about Trevor Lawrence and how he projected at the college level and what were some of his comparisons. And then we talked about Clemson and the growth of their program and Clemson's recruiting few weeks later, we went to see the number one player in our class, Justin Fields, also in Georgia. Um, and it's funny that they're both going to be probably top 10 picks now. And I saw them both in high school. But a lot of the talk becomes big picture because, you know, the 16-year-old kid that just made an eight-yard catch, I don't really have anything to say about him. He's a high school student. Maybe he's good in chemistry. But we're going to talk about Justin Fields and about um, – about, you know, at the time, Georgia, because we know Georgia fans are watching, right? Our audience for these games is the hardcore college football fan that says, I want to see the quarterback in the future. So we cater the broadcast a little bit differently and it's a little more big picture and a little bit less, you know, here's something individual on, on every kid on the field.
0: What was it like? Seeing Trevor Lawrence in high school, he's about to be the number one (laughs) overall draft pick. And that's a foregone conclusion. Uh, The Jets are pretty much already on the clock. Trevor's already inundated himself with everything Jacksonville. Uh, What was it like seeing him at 16 years old? Because he's a phenomenon in itself.
1: Overwhelming. We saw a lot of really good quarterbacks that year. I mean, I mean, Fields was incredible, too. But we saw Emery Jones, who went to Florida, and davis mills who went to stanford um actually that was my first year we saw jack west the second year who also went to stanford i saw a bunch of kids those first two years covering high school football that went off to play college and are still playing college now and lawrence and fields were so far above the rest of them and these are kids that are four and five star kids um fields was incredible because of his full package his athleticism his physicality but I don't think I've ever seen anybody throw the ball as effortlessly as Trevor Lawrence did as a 17, 18 year old high school senior. You know, he had the size back then. He had a very cool, affable way about him. It's sort of laid back in a confident way. And it was amazing to watch because he would throw a ball Seemingly off his back foot, and it would just whistle clean through the air, fifty yards down the field. Um, it's not an exaggeration when I when I talk about his arm. It would be easy to exaggerate now and say, "Well, he's going to be the number one pick," so he, you know he must have wowed us. But we didn't know he was going to be the number one pick in three years, and he blew us away. His arm was as natural as anything I've ever seen, and I've called college for a few years, and I've not I've not seen an arm like that. I've not seen a college quarterback with an arm like his when he was in high school.
0: That's that's definitely high praise, and I'm looking forward to seeing him uh, turn Jacksonville around, even though I'm a diehard Ravens fan. It's still nice to see uh, Jacksonville get their quarterback in the future to be competitive in the AFC South because I'd rather see anybody win in the Colts or the <laughs> Tennessee Titans. <laughs> It'd be nice for like the six Jaguars fans to have something too, wouldn't it be good six. for them? That, that's, that's, yeah. that's, a, that's a good number right there. Yeah. So kind of getting back to your, your time with the Orioles so far, I know that, you know, we have had hall of famers in the booth and on the radio uh, that are Orioles legends. And it seems like Masson and the Orioles kind of did a complete overhaul right around the time you got here. And Players that are now announcers and play-by-play guys such as Mike Bordick and Rick Dempsey and, and those type of guys, Gary Thorne and Joe Angel retiring and all that. What was it like coming in to the Orioles knowing that it was a complete rebuild and the only holdover seemed to be Ben McDonald and Jim Palmer? Yeah, well,
1: I, I, didn't know all of it at the time. You know, I'm sure they didn't either um, because I, I took over in 2019 and most of those folks were still there. I took over after Joe had retired and Jim Hunter was the lead radio broadcaster in 2019. So this is going to sound like a cliche. Maybe it is a cliche, but I never felt like I was directly replacing Joe Angel because Jim was the lead radio guy that year and I was the number two. So I felt like I was sliding into Jim's seat, if any, if anybody's more than, than Joe's. And then last year I got to do a little bit of TV. Um, you know, I, again, to an extent, it feels like Gary's seat because Gary ha- had done it brilliantly for so long, but I, I've just never been someone necessarily that, that sits and feels overwhelmed by the pressure of the person who is there before me. Again, I know, I know it sounds like the most cliche thing, like slap me in the face for hitting the cliche of, well, I'm not replacing this person. Well, it kind of, I am right. I mean, technically someone was in that seat and now I'm in that seat, or at least sharing that seat with a couple of different people. Um, I just, for whatever reason, I, I don't look at it that way. I, I can't go on the air and think, well, How would Joe have called this play? How would Jim have called this play? How would Gary have called this play? Because I'm not going to succeed. Those guys were all incredible in their own way. I'm never going to try to be them because I'm not them. And it would be false of me to do that. Um, I built up a way to do this. I have a lot of influences. I think I sound like a lot of different people, probably some of those folks included. But it's not something I I think about that often, to be honest with you. I, I don't walk into the booth and think, you know, well, this this isn't my booth. Um, maybe it's naivete, maybe it's confidence, but I walk in and think, all right, I'm here to do the job. And I'm here to work well with the person sitting next to me. And I'm gonna do this the, the way I, I know how, because I, I think it's the the only way to succeed. I, I don't think if I walked in and thought about those guys and tried to be those guys, it would work. You know, I've I've gotta be my own person and some people like that and some don't, but um, I had a similar experience, honestly, in in AAA. I mentioned earlier Jason Benetti, who's now with the White Sox, and is I think as good a baseball game caller as anybody in the world right now. I mean, go back and watch his call on the no-hitter of Carlos Rodon a couple of weeks ago. Mesmerizing. And he left near the end of one season. I had the final couple of months to myself. And, you know, it would have been easy to walk in and and say – well now i'm terrified because this is jason's seat but i just felt like i you know had put in the work and was prepared and was was ready to do that again without sounding like overwhelmingly cocky about it i just felt like i was i was ready and i i wanted to to do my own thing take what i would learned from him but not try to be him
0: and i wouldn't call it cocky or arrogant or anything along those lines you 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 seamlessly stepped into a role to where this fan base appreciates your your work in the booth i know i do and i i've you know when i told a couple of my friends that you were going to be on the show they were like oh he's really good in the booth you know we listen to him <laughs> on the radio we listen to him on the tv it's just That's very hard them it, it's really hard though because a lot of the older generation of orioles fans are used to listening to jim and gary totally. and joe and it's just like that's quote unquote the big shoes to fill, and yeah, yeah, it you know to to seamlessly slide in there is an incredible thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, maybe I'm just naive. <laughs> maybe I should be thinking about it more. But um, I tend to get pretty in the moment sometimes. Um, I'm the kind of person that gets you know very hyper focused on um. On you know what? Are, what am I having for lunch? <laughs> and like my wife or people around me will be like, "Well, what? You know, where are we going to live in five years?" I'm like, I don't know. I just want to know if I'm having turkey or ham for lunch <laughs> today. Um, so maybe it's just uh, a level of appropriate short-sightedness in
0: this respect. But I, I guess it keeps I don't you know. it,
1: it, it works for me. I
0: guess kind of shifting. The- off the, you know, out of the uh, play-by-play booth, you've been in Baltimore for three years now. How have you taken in the city? Is it someplace that you're enjoying, you know, staying so far?
1: Yeah, I've loved what I've seen of it. And the, the one real disappointment of this past couple of years is I just haven't gotten to see Baltimore as much as I want to because, you know, COVID. <laughs> um, so 2019, I did about 55 games. About a third of the season. And you know, my wife and I um, were in Brooklyn at the time at a place in New York. She works in New York. So I would just take the train down. And I would take the train down. I would stay at the hotel near the park. I'd just walk back and forth. If I needed to get somewhere, I would call a lift, but I, I didn't drive around that much. And I think I only had a car there once. So I got to explore the area near the park pretty well. And near the hotel, inner harbor, um, Fed Hill, a little bit of Fells Point, but you know, but by and large I was kind of restricted by not having a car. So last year was going to be the year where I really had a car and got to explore the city more. And um and then that all blew up because when I was there it was, you know, to the Airbnb or the hotel, right to the park and then right back. Um but this year um, I'm hopeful that some things will be able to be relaxed soon. Um, I've got a place down there for the year, have an apartment in the city for the year. And that's, I think I'd make a big difference because, you know, I, I like dying to get a sense of the community more and get out and eat, walk around. And I, um, I just, you know, it's very low on the list of, of sad things from last year, obviously, but, but it was disappointing that I didn't get a chance to do more of that. So I've already had a bunch of snowballs this year and it hasn't even really been snowball weather, but, um, I've been stuffing my face with with those already. So what is your go-to flavor? Um, well, they'll say the first time I went, I went to this, uh, this shop called ice Queens. I was told you gotta go to ice Queens. Great. So I walked over to ice Queens and I asked, what should I guess? And they said, get a Baltimore, Old-fashioned snowball, egg custard, and marshmallow. And I thought, this sounds gross, but okay. And um, I had one bite. And I'm like, this is the most delicious thing I've, I've ever eaten in my life. So it's I've life had changing. two of those. <laughs> I had a blue raspberry last time. And maybe I can try all the flavors by year's end. But yeah, I can't believe how good the old-fashioned snowball was. I really, when I heard egg custard and marshmallow, I'm like, these are two things I won't like. And I was immediately disproven.
0: That's that's a That's a a pretty cool way to get introduced that's the the go to flavor for everybody is the egg custard or close second is the skylight but my parents had a mom and pop i had the skylight it's a, it's the blue flavor the light blue flavor okay. my, my parents had a uh, mom and pop corner store for 25 years in in, in north baltimore city and it's kind of like a bodega in new york to kind of you know equate uh and they sold snowballs and it, I've been have I've been growing up on snowball since I was like six years old. So Amazing! It's it's one of those things that you definitely got to try in your stay, as well yeah. as the, the crab cakes, you know, Pappas's or cocos. Yep. You know, everybody's going to have their disagreements on where the best is, but uh, being as though that you spent most of your time at the ballpark, I hope you got a chance to try Boog's barbecue while you were down at the stadium
1: yes and i'm hopeful that i'll get to eat more of that this year
0: because it has been two years since
1: i've been able to indulge in the fine pleasures of boogs barbecue
0: other than other than chaps boogs is like the best pit beef i've ever had in my life okay i've been
1: told by a bunch of people i have to go to chaps that i haven't
0: i haven't sought that one out yet chaps is down there right off of route 40 in uh southeast baltimore it's it's in the shopping, it's in the parking lot of a uh, gentleman's club, but it looks nice. Like a lo- it looks like a, a small, you know, building on the side, but their pit beef is out of this world. <laughs> They've been on uh, every Food Network show you can imagine. And Guy Fayetti and Adam from Manverse Food both have their own sandwiches down there. Oh my God.
1: Yeah, I have to do that. That's got to be like one of the next things I do. It's honestly it's overwhelming when I post something about local food on Twitter, people go crazy in my responses. And and in the best kind of way. I have all these recommendations of where to go. From, people go broke from Baltimore Twitter. There was a couple of years ago I unwillingly started a fight because I was like we have a rain out where should I go? And one person said you should go this place for crab cakes and somebody said no hell no go to this place for crab cakes no you got to go this and um it got kind of ugly <laughs> <laughs> because I, I, you get it right that everybody loves their their place their spot so my hope is I'll be able to try all of them out this year and I can make my decision which I will then um keep to myself so as to not anger anyone
0: that's that's a good thing because Baltimore, <laughs> Baltimore Twitter is a very angry place sometimes. <laughs> and it's, it's easy but to get caught it. up in it. it. Yes. But I love it. Kevin, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. You've been very insightful and very engaging. I, I appreciate you coming on the show. And um, before, you get, before you go, you can uh, let everybody know where they can find you daily on social media.
1: Yeah, Twitter at Kevin N Brown. Instagram, I'm at Noble Kevin, because Noble is my middle name, which I also recently discovered is Rio Ruiz's middle name. We share a middle name, which is a wonderful awesome. surprise. Yeah. Um, I'm on Snapchat, but don't look for me there. <laughs> I'm not on TikTok.
0: That's a complicated ad I've
1: been yeah, I've been I've been told by some people you should get on TikTok, but I'm not. Maybe someday. Maybe, maybe in maybe in the coming years, if, if TikTok continues to be the platform for the youth, you know, I want to be part of the youth, but that's it. Find me on Twitter. Find me on
0: Instagram. Find me at the ballpark. Thank you very much, Kevin, for your time. I appreciate you.
1: Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me on.